0: Are you looking for a podcast where you can hear from real people regarding their real dental drama? If so, then you've come to the right place. Join hosts Bethany Petty and Dr. Rena Kuba as we dive into the solutions we've created and the mistakes we've made while managing dental drama. Let's get started.
1: Well, I've got um, kind of a hodgepodge of topics here. Okay. In com- I'm going to, I've kind of been, you asked me a question um, last week, I think. And then just kind of thinking in other, like I recently had uh, dinner with an old group of colleagues two nights ago and just some topics that came up um, and then other random questions that you've either asked me or I've asked you in the last, I don't know, month or so. And I've kind of just started jotting down. Um, so do they fall under one big topic like we normally do, you know, putting out fires or whatever? Uh, so I don't really have, to me, I was like, where do all these little hodgepodge questions kind of come in? This goes to a hodgepodge episode. So, I like
2: it. Yes. Yeah, so I'm
1: calling it kind of like compliance questions and things that maybe that either friends have asked me or friends have brought up or you've asked me or I've asked you and just things that you and I go and like, we're like, I don't know. And we go and kind of do a little research. Yes. So, I tried to put together a list of a few of those things that have come up in the last month or two that whether I knew the answer or that I had to go dig or ask you um, that I thought would be helpful for our listeners. And uh, prefacing, of course, this is in Texas with Texas rules. Um, So for some of it, you know, if you're in a different state and looking to go, wait, that's not a thing here. It may not be. Um, But I guess the point of this would be how do you, yeah. you know, if, if it's something that you take for granted and go, oh, well, this is how it is. Is it? Right. Because laws change. Um, how long have you been practicing? If you are a newer grad, maybe you take what you were taught in dental school as the Bible and now you're in the real world and it's, you know, it's it's a good foundation. But where, you know, where are you now? If you joined a practice, are you like, well, that's what we do in my practice, But is that going to keep you safe as far as your license safe? Or, you know, are you truly doing the right thing? And then I have a couple here that are just um, my opinion on how I handle a couple of things that I've heard, how other people handle it. And I'm like, oof, oof, oof. I don't know that I agree with that. So anyway, uh, I guess I would I would. Call this episode compliance questions. Maybe uh, if you think of a better title other than compliance questions or hodgepodge or I'm
2: sure we're gonna have a ton of listeners on compliance questions. So I'm gonna have to come up with a better title. Everybody's yeah. like, "Ooh, this one looks like just for me." No, no it says nobody ever. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: delete. We're not okay, so hodgepodge. Okay, so the first one I'm gonna start with the the one that's freshest on my mind uh, because I think we just talked about it earlier this week, maybe. Um, you had asked me about a credit card processing. So can, I'm going to, I'm going to yes. throw it back to you. Can you walk us through what happened yes. there? So
2: this had has not come up in years for me. So it took me by surprise, but a client reached out. Uh, her office had been contacted by a non-patient. It was not a patient in their practice. And just uh, this particular patient was in the hospital has this patient been to your practice? Because there's a charge on his credit card from your practice. Long story short, it was a a patient in their practice that had apparently um, somehow gotten this person's credit card information and used the credit card. And so there were so many follow up questions to just this one issue. You know the the non patient, the patient whose card had been stolen. Um, wanted information, you know, on how to find this person, which obviously the practice can't share. Um, The hospital that was associated with this patient was, or where the patient was staying was seeking information. It's like, what can we share? What can
1: we not share? Okay. So I want to even clarify a little bit more because I think I had to ask you twice to really understand. So basically there's a patient in the hospital Mm -hmm. who is not my patient. Let's call her Mary. Yeah. And Susie is my patient. I did work for Susie. Susie paid me with a credit card and I didn't know, but Susie had actually stolen Mary's credit card. That's correct. So now we I mean, like, y'all, <laughs> what? So basically my patient that I just did a crown prep for, a bridge, whatever it is that I did, Susie, and now Susie's done with her treatment and in theory, coming back for recare but come to find that what Susie paid me with was not her credit card. So now, Mary, who's in the hospital, and the hospital is now asking all these questions, like, wait, did Mary or have this dental work done? And her credit card company is like, wait a minute, I don't think Mary had this done. Did she have this done? Who did have it done? Who did? So basically like a HIPAA yeah. violation type oh, question. It was
2: so many HIPAA. HIPAA was where my mind went immediately. But then also, in addition to HIPAA, I'm thinking, okay, what is the liability on the practice? What's the, the practice's response to this? And it kind of begged the question is where you and I kind of started going down this road, which is when's the last time we've even thought about how we process credit cards? And does everybody on the team know the appropriate steps to follow? Um, this is part of why we get identification on file for every patient. There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is... To process payments Um, did we check this card closely or did we like we all do oh yep, I'll take that card I'll run it and didn't think twice about it Um, was this card taken remotely over the phone did the patient call in with the credit card information and then that begs the question oh wait should we be doing that should we not be doing that and so it was literally a can of worms that I reached out to you about I was asking you for some HIPAA advice because police then got involved at some point and then it's like okay wait police are gonna be asking the office about Susie my patient's information what wait a second what can I give in this is the legal entity asking me but the HIPAA laws are still in
1: place um, what a nightmare. That's all I can say. Even mm-hmm. like talking about it again here. I'm like, this is a nightmare mm-hmm. and not something that you think about that would or could ever come up. And exactly. my thought sitting here, my first thought is thank God this isn't me. <laughs> like, thank God this hasn't happened to me yet. But could it? Yeah. Like I, I would very highly doubt that we maybe, maybe because we, I I don't know. Do we even look at the name on the credit card? So I don't know. And now you're saying taking a payment over the phone, but what about text to pay? Like, right. I don't even know all the ins and outs. I know we offer text to pay, but I don't know the details of all of that. Exactly.
2: And I think it's one of those things that it's something we don't think about on a daily basis. But when this came up, it, it really hit me. Cause I'm like, we've, we should be thinking about this more. Like payments are absolutely a part of everyday life in our practice. And there are certain protections that we need to be able to extend to the patient. So I think about it a lot when a patient calls in to make a payment, which is very common. I think about the importance of making sure we're just documenting that credit card directly into the terminal, not writing it down. Like if I call in and make a payment, I normally will ask, are you writing my credit card information down? So I'm real cognizant of it because I know it's a very loose environment with payments. And they're like, oh no, I'm not writing it down. I'm putting it directly into the system. I'm like, okay, great. Um, But if they're writing it down, are we shredding that information? Can people hear that information? Is the front office person repeating the credit card information back to the patient? Which again, if I'm on the phone making the payment and they start to say it back to me, I'm, I'm, I'm like, please don't confirm. I'll read it to you again and you can confirm. Because I'm like, I know offices. I know there are patients in earshot. They're about to hear my whole credit card information. Like, please don't read it out to to me again. I'll read it to you. So even simple things like that. Are we doing a really good job of protecting that patient's credit card information? Um, So it It just, when this situation hit, I thought this is an area that I, even as a consultant, don't think about a lot. I don't train on this a lot, but it is an area that a practice owner really needs to think, oh gosh, you know, I just put my new front office person there and didn't teach her a thing about how we process payments or our expectations of what needs to be present are we checking the name on the card? Are we comparing that against the identification we have on record? What if it's the husband's card and the wife is there? Are we allowing for that situation? Are we not? It's a lot of questions that I feel like we need to think through.
1: Ugh, it's all I have to say. Like, I just have heebie-jeebies out the wazoo. Like, that is that's just really... A, a beat down as far as I'm concerned. Let's be done. So now then what happens, like you always think about like, if it's you and your credit card is being used, um, you know, it's been stolen. I think probably all of us have been through that at some point. So then it's like, you're like, yeah, no, I didn't buy, you know, that Louis Vuitton bag for $2,000 or that's probably going to get you a hair clip But Louis Vuitton. Let me, let me rephrase. Like, you, but 8, <laughs> right. And so, I get my money recouped because I'm like, no, no, this is fraudulent. But what about Louis Vuitton? Like, they're out that $8,000 bag. And so, in this case, this dentist was out thousands of dollars of dentistry. Right.
2: Yes. Because ultimately, what she did, which. Susie. What? What Susie did? Well, my, what, what my client did, did what oh, de- oh. the dentist did. Okay. Which was, I think, the right thing to do. It still stinks, but she refunded the charge because it this is obviously mary's card and not suzy's card so she refunded mary's card which was right by mary it was the right thing to do but ultimately now yeah my left my client's left holding the bag because the dentistry has been done and there's a huge charge a huge uh, balance on suzy's account now so but my client's like ultimately it was our mistake we processed mary's card for suzy's work it's our mistake i should be the one left holding the bag it stinks but ultimately it's now my responsibility to pursue
1: suzy for payment that sucks yeah um on so many levels do and now you just said she said i'm gonna refund the card Mm -hmm. Do, do we have an option I would say no. I would say no. So then, what? Like the police is coming after us, or yeah.
2: the credit card company? Who? It just gets messy because ultimately, yes, it would be probably the either the police or the credit card company coming after the business owner, which is also a benefit to be like God. Let's. I don't even want to be a part of that. Like, here's the money back. Like, excess yeah. out of the equation. We're good. Um, but yeah, I would say no. I mean. She could have, I guess, kept the money and just seen where
1: the chips fell. But that's a risky... I think that's risky. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like, is it... Like, did you know what the next steps would be or not? So,
2: ultimately, the patient or the hospital that was calling on behalf of this patient asked, would you be willing to just refund that back to Mary's card? And my client said, yes, that's what we'll do. Um, But I don't think she had to. Yet. Yet yet okay yet i didn't know
1: when that was going to be a part of the equation so then what did we decide cuz you and i talked about this mm-hmm. what did we decide about when the police is asking what did, what did we they decide They need to, to have
2: a some type of subpoena or warrant or they have to be able to before we turn over private patient information
1: even though Susie's a scam artist even though Susie's a thief, <laughs> We still have, we're still bound by HIPAA. We have to protect care patient privacy.
2: Yeah. So this is important because in the case, uh, in this particular case, they refunded the card to, refunded the charges to Mary's card. And they wanted to show proof to Mary that they refunded. So it's really important that even on that credit card, Receipt that was printed out that it doesn't have any patient information because we processed the card as, um, Susie's as Susie's. Yeah. And so we just want to make sure that when we refund quote unquote Susie's card, it wasn't that there's no information connecting Susie,
1: if that makes sense. So we just have to be, it makes sense and it's legal, but it was so tempting to let everybody no. know Susie and where she lives and what teeth we fixed. You see that pretty bridge <laughs> on the front? That was me. A <laughs> pretty smile. That pretty free Ugh. That
0: pretty free bridge?
1: Yeah, that was me. Yeah, man, this really sucks, though. But it, yeah. it, like to your point, especially with staff turnover and training and all the other things we're dealing with, like to stop and, yeah. you know, I often think, like, is it offensive to somebody to say, I need to see your ID with your credit card? I know. And so um, it just adds one more onion layer yeah. that really stinks.
2: I know. I know. And it's just an area that we need to know. We are a transactional business. We are running transactions through our merchant services or through whatever payment system or software that we have. And it's important to know what rules should we be following and then making sure the team is trained on those roles and that we're following those consistency. So it's a good reminder. It was a good reminder for me where I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of those areas that we just don't take the time to think about, but let's pause. Let's evaluate how we're processing payments.
1: Okay. That's a doozy. If anybody else has like bile rising, (laughs) uh, you're joining me. Okay. So to switch gears now, Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that, again, that have come up some at dinner the other night and then some, you know, earlier in the month, um, one one debate that people got into that I really couldn't uh, partake in because I don't do this but it was just interesting listening to the group um, but the, the question came up about uh, x-rays for you know what it may have been me who brought it up now that I'm thinking about it because of you because oh, the conversation we had yes. the other day that we got into it yes y'all heard that right Bethany and I <laughs> did not agree and, and I don't think we're still in agreement and that's okay we still disagree <laughs> Um, about yes taking an x-ray um and so well the funny thing is i'm arguing with you and and pushing my opinion on something i don't even do so it's just fun to be the poking the bear where i can i don't do it either true true but you you actually have to advise people on this i don't but so you know kind of down to the best practices of do you and 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 frankly is it law in texas that you have to take this x-ray i don't even know the answer to that it's not it's not okay So you've checked that or you, okay. So So it's not legally required. It's
2: advised to strongly advised strongly advised to take an x-ray upon,
1: uh, cementation of a, so both pre-cementation and then post cementation of a crown or a bridge or a implant crown or whatever. And stronger on the
2: cementation on the post cementation. Um, Pre-cementation really came in quite heavily when insurance started saying, well, how do I know that you did that buildup? How do I know that you prepped the tooth? How do I know? So they were pushing back, wanting all this proof that... Which is ridiculous. Which is
1: stupid. It is
2: infuriating beyond measure.
1: Anybody, if anybody listening works for insurance and you set these rules, we are talking to you. We don't like you and your rules.
2: We hate you. I... Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's not mince words here. <laughs> I, I want to meet you and have some very heated dialogue with you. I do you. not want to meet you. <laughs> not be pleasant. Um, so, so the, okay, so this is kind of a multi-conversation here. Um, one is best practices of taking the x-ray post cementation to ensure margins are closed, yes. contacts are there, cement is Cements cleaned out, on. all that. So the, the point I was going to try to make was that the, the people at dinner that were arguing about, like, a bite wing is what you need. Mm. And the other one's like, what does it matter? And, uh, the one person was complaining about how their associate always takes PAs. And they were like, a PA is not what you need to verify. So if that is what you're going on, you're fooling yourself into thinking this margin's closed. You need a bite wing. So it was just interesting for me to listen to this. Um, and you know, I agreed with side bite wing because that's what we all know is going to be the best, Uh, visualization with least distortion and the most, you know, if you're looking at how to keep yourself out of trouble, if the patient goes on down the street and another dentist takes a bite wing and sees an open margin. And now you're like, well, no, mine, mine was closed and mine, but you have a PA you're toast. Right. Um, and so, so that was just another tidbit. Um, I think not
2: only do you take the x-rays to check, but are you taking the appropriate x-ray to check Right. Then the third component to that is, do you bill for that x-ray? Yes. Whereas you, where you and I got on different sides of the table. Because um, ultimately, my philosophy is anything we do needs to be documented. So, yes, show on the ledger, I took a bite wing to confirm margins. But in your mind, that bite wing should be zeroed out no charge for that or not billed to insurance. On my side of the table, I was like, if we're taking the dang x-ray, we're billing for the dang x-ray. And so I think those are all components that we don't just need to assume that the practice that we're doing is right and good. We need to have these dialogues at the with your colleagues at this table to discuss what should be done. What is truly best practice? Not only... Clinically, but then on
1: the financial side of it, what are, what are we doing, and how are we billing for that? Right, and that's where you and I could not come to because in my mind, me taking the pre, if I did it, I mean, if I did crown and bridge, um, which thank God I don't, I still get hives thinking about it, um, but would I take an X ray for pre cementation? I guess maybe, probably to make sure that I'm, you know, satisfied and then take it post cementation. You're saying you would bill for both of those x-rays. In my mind, those are part of the crown. Um, and then you get into nickel and diming, which, you know, uh, you know, maybe you, um, maybe you, oh, I have another actually insurance question. You know, a lot of these boil down to insurance. That's the problem. As mm-hmm. we sit
2: here and talk about it, you know, and we've talked a lot about x-rays and, and, and Best practices of X-rays. I the mindset I always bring to X-rays is clinically: what do you need? Like it, it makes me so angry, and this is why I want to talk to that insurance person. It makes me so angry that insurance has put such a weight and such an emphasis on what we cover, what we don't cover. Um, We're gonna pay you so little that you start to bill things that you may not have billed before. It's easy not to bill for the, the post-cementation bite wing when you get paid your crown A decent price. amount for the crown, yeah. But when they've slashed it to where you get paid half of what you used to make and now you're struggling to make ends meet, now you're much more inclined to go, well, yeah, I took the bite wing, and yeah, I'm going to go ahead and bill insurance for it because they slashed my prices in half. It's sad that we even have to think about that. Because what we should just be able to do is go, clinically, as as the doctor, I want a pre- and post-cementation x-ray. Because, to make sure we did a great job to with To make this sure crown. I did a great yeah. job with that patient. And I'm not even thinking anything past that. I don't want to think anything past that, because clinically, this is what I want. And that's where it gets frustrating, because we we almost can't even think that way anymore. It's almost like, okay, well, clinically, I would love to have, to have a pre- and post cement, uh, cementation x-ray, but doctor, insurance isn't going to pay for that, and then that's going to be left on the patient to pay that, and the patient's going to be mad that insurance didn't pay for it, and then we're like, blah, now we're all jumbled, because now my clinical mindset has switched to financially, what should I have to do for the patient, and that's frustrating.
1: Well, and that's a very dangerous slope, then. Yeah. It's a very dangerous slope, so... Um... Uh, Speaking of nickel and diming the patient and then setting the patient off, Mm -hmm. right? Because I feel like that's the thing. We've talked about it so many times in our podcasts is, you know, how do you, these uh, very on edge patients and now the fact that they're stuck paying for a bite wing that they feel like should have been covered because it was for the crown. Like, I guess me trying to explain and trying to envision that conversation of, well, you see, Mrs. Smith, we had to make sure that the crown was out. What do you mean you had to make sure the crown was out? Do you not know what you're doing? Oh, so you had to take an x-ray for that. Well, then if you had to take an x-ray for that, then why are you billing me for that? Like, I could just see the nightmare of Mm -hmm. trying to explain that and I, I don't see how that could be done successfully which means then are we eating the cost of the x-ray? So if we're eating the cost of the x-ray, are we billing it to insurance but not billing it to the patient so that we don't irritate the patient that we're trying to make happy with the crown to begin with so that it don't get sued? So was that price of that you know, $20 bite wing worth it for the lawyer fees I have to s- spend now on the patient? It's just this mushroom cloud that is nauseating and frustrating and maddening.
2: Well, and again, I would say it's one of those things Get with colleagues, talk to them about their standards on x-rays, talk to them about frequencies. There are frequencies that are recommended for, you know, standard of care. Have you looked at that recently? True, but is it the blind
1: leading the blind?
2: Well, and I would say, take it beyond your, your buddies, so
1: to speak, and go, when's the last time you've looked? Or at- when's the last time you went to a conference live yeah. or when, you know, cause that's getting more expensive. Not necessarily the conferences cost more, which maybe they do, maybe they don't. But getting out of your office certainly does. Um, It's
2: worth thinking about, is what I would say. It's worth thinking about. Don't just assume that what you're doing is right and good. When's the last time you've evaluated those protocols again? When's the last time that you've, you know, furthered your education? Have you looked at some of the laws or recommendations that your state in particular has take some time to, to think about it.
1: Um, yes. With, with all the ample time we've got, you know, just in our, in our free time there. Um, okay. So, so one of the other things that I want to get into, uh, segue into a different, uh, venue of nickel and diming that I just cringe when I hear about this. Um, the people that charge, their patients for their records, you're cringing too, okay. I just let's. Let, I, I yeah. like getting back on something that we both agree on. <laughs> it's no fun disagreeing with you, because I'm always like, I might be full of you know what, and Bethany's usually right, so. Um, <laughs> Not, always. Usually, Not always. Usually, usually. Um, every now and then I'll have a win, but um, I much feel better on the side of, if I agree with you, I feel much more safe. Um, and I think we both have the same philosophy on, if a patient's asking for their records, first of all, at least in Texas, You are required to give the patient their records. And I had, um, she's a client of yours and a friend of mine who recently asked me something. She's like, Hey, I think this patient's going to be really upset with me. It was another pediatric dentist. And so she was kind of like, we were commiserating over what, what would I have done with this patient? What would she have done? Like, is there anything different? Like clinically we would have done different. So she was kind of getting my feedback on that. But then she said something about, you know, I think this patient, um, is upset still because they asked for their records, but they haven't given us the written release. They haven't signed that. And I said, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, you know, they have to release their records. And I said, oh my gosh, no. If it's the patient requesting their records. So I could see where she was going with this. Like, if it was like the patient wanted the records transferred to the orthodontist or to the pediatrician or to a different dentist. That requires
2: a consent. That requires
1: a records release that you are authorizing our office to go ahead and release those records. But if it is the patient themselves... It's their records. It's their records. And so to me, I was like, (gasps) you need to go to your, I mean, like we were talking probably on a Saturday afternoon. I was like, yes, stop what you were doing. Go to your office right now. And you send those records because that's one more thing that you are poking the bear. If this patient is upset with you, even if they're not upset with you and you're like, these are my damn records. Like, why are you making this so difficult for me? Mm -hmm. I would be annoyed at my OB, at my cardiologist at whoever was not forwarding records and facilitating whatever it is that I need for. My health care, um, and it would put a bad taste in my mouth, regardless of if I had a good relationship or not. And certainly, this is a patient that you are afraid is going to write a negative review or sue you or send a board complaint, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do not poke that bear. Mm-hmm. They do not need to wait for a release for their records to be signed. It's their records. Yeah. So, we had that conversation. She's like, Are you sure? I'm like, Yes, I'm very sure. I would go right now and yeah. go send those before you let a whole weekend go by and this patient has a weekend to stew over you not sending records. It's one more thing they're adding. I would also
2: say on the sending records, um, I really like to make sure that we're in clear communication with the patient with how we're sending those records. So I tend to prefer that they come to the office to pick it up because I am, I'm extra weird about HIPAA. And I'm like, if I, what if I'm, what is this so-and-so over the phone? Am I, am I guaranteed that this is so-and-so over the phone? And then if I'm emailing, there's always a risk of somebody finding that information. Anytime we're electronically transferring, unless we have embedded software where we can send an encrypted, en- enc- encrypted software where we can yeah. send that Safely. But I would document all of that. Ask the patient how you want your records. You know, are you okay to get it encrypted? Um, And confirm then that you've got the accurate email. Yeah. Because the last thing we want is that those records going to. So anyway, just be very, very careful when you're transferring records that you are still keeping HIPAA in mind. We're not taking word over the phone. Did they confirm patient's date of birth? Do we have a driver's license on file? are we confirming? Am I talking to the mom of so-and-so? Let me confirm your driver. It doesn't hurt to take those extra steps to make sure that we're sending the records electronically to the right people would be my little two bits on that. So,
1: right. But we don't Um, need written authorization if they're the patient. Right. And so I'm going to come back to that in a second. One side, little thing that's happened to me a couple of times now since maybe February ish with sending out W-2s to my Mm -hmm. employees or former employees or whatever. And inadvertently I've had several that have gone well I've lost mine can I get it again I'm like I am going to smush you like I'm gonna make it very clear next year I'm gonna charge you employee if I have to give you your w-2 more than once because it's it's a pain in the butt to go and track it down and like all of that so but I've even said like if you need it sooner than later like or the ones that I've mailed it to you and you didn't get it I don't know did you move and not tell me did you Did it go to your neighbor's apartment box? I have no idea. But if you're needing it today and you don't want to come get it and you don't want me to mail it again because that didn't work, I can email it to you, but it's not going to be encrypted. So I've even, like, gotten that, like, even for employees. Mm -hmm. I don't know if somebody could do something with somebody's tax return or not. Can they? I I have no idea. Private information, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I'm sending it to you unencrypted because we have encryption software, but... I don't know how to use it. Cause yeah. usually that's what we're sending patient records through, which the front handles. So I don't know how to do this. I'm not going to, it's already a pain in my ass enough to have to re dig this W2 out, re get it to you. And I got to figure out how to encrypt it. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So you need to tell me what you want. Anyway, back to the records. Um, I think the other thing that, that sticks out in my mind about records is uh, because again, we, we, th- we ended up talking about this was charging for patient records. And in Texas, you are allowed to charge. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, please, please, nobody do that. But then people do it. And I'm like, you are poking a bear and I don't understand. And for what purpose? For what purpose? Is it 20 bucks? Like, it is not worth it. Even if it's a patient that's not upset, even if it's a patient that's, like, moving to North Carolina and they want their records forwarded or they want their records, you want to leave a bad taste in somebody's mouth? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess I would just say if you went to your cardiologist and said... I want my records and they said, yeah, here you go. 25 bucks later, I would be pissed. Yeah. And I can only imagine when it's a patient that's already not happy. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm glad to hear you say you agree with that because there was not a consensus amongst the, (laughs) the group. Um, and I was just left with my jaw hanging going, Oh my gosh.
2: It to me, it, I guess I just always ask for what benefit. So is it, do we really need that 20 bucks? So badly are we trying to prevent people from getting records? Which well, can, and that's the way it looks like. That if I was the patient, it's a roadblock. Yeah, it's a roadblock. Which again, but even if we take it a step further back, like, are we really worried about like having a hundred requests for records in one month? And so we're like, ooh, we got to create a roadblock, and so that only the fifty that truly want their records are <laughs> asking. I don't, I don't understand the purpose. I I struggle with this one because I don't think the practice benefits from the 20 bucks. Yeah. I don't think if it's to, well, I paid my front office person to gather the records and then I use my printer and my ink and maybe I can follow my that. My stamps. I don't know. And maybe
1: that's know. where that thought came in. Like old school to prepare, wise to go. Like to yeah, like to the cost of actually make, but I, even then, I don't think I would have believed in it then either because it's just one, you know, thing to to poke the bear. I think it just
2: creates a, even if the patient's not upset right. and they're requesting records, I think it creates a potential for an upset patient and coming off of our de-escalation series that we just did do we really want to even invoke a fire that wasn't there before? I just don't think it's worth the 20 bucks or the 25 bucks, whatever you charge. I don't care if it's 50 bucks. I don't think it's worth the 50 bucks that you're going to charge. I don't care if it's five. Yeah.
1: It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let me see. What else do I have on my list here? Um, uh, RDA duties. Mm -hmm. Because that not all of these came up in conversation the other day, but um, it made me just kind of go back and say, what have we talked about before? Um, And again, this is in Texas, but one thing, uh, there was an orthodontist and then uh, a GP at this uh, meeting that I was at um, gathering. And the comment came up about um, scanning for Mm -hmm. a final impression and using, you know, both, both the GP and the orthodontist had their iTero scanners. And um, somebody brought up like, can an assistant take that impression or not? And so what do you think about that? So uh,
2: in my opinion, well, again, a lot of offices use assistants to scan for record keeping. Like, hey, this is just a scan that we use to kind of check bite, um, check progress or digression over time. So in that particular case, absolutely the assistants can scan. Um, From my understanding, final impressions have been the responsibility of the doctor um, and I was interested to hear your perspective on this and you understand the same thing is what I'm hearing
1: right like I think this has come up before where it's like when you look at like the rules in Texas mm-hmm. it says something about the final impression for any crown or whatever um, so for orthodontics the, the retainers the whatever it is um, and the argument that was being made by the GP was that they're like, well, yeah, but that's impressions. That's like alginate or whatever. And the orthodontist was like, no, it's... It applies to ITERO It applies well. to ITERO as well because it is a final impression. Yeah. And then the, the argument was, okay, well, that's so archaic. Like, now how many people use alginate? And it was like, but that's not the point. The point is, at least in Texas, the way the law is written it's the final impression is the final impression. It, it's almost like when you're prepping a tooth, like are you using a laser, a high speed, a slow speed? It doesn't matter. The point is you're prepping the tooth. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of the tool you're using, if it's still the final impression, it's got to be taken by the dentist mm-hmm. and not an assistant. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was an interesting conversation. Um, well, and it's one that I think
2: is super applicable right now because the iTero or any digital scanner for that matter has really become more the norm. And so it does beg the question, okay, do we know as a practice, as a practicing doctor, do I know the laws on how I can utilize this in my state? And it can absolutely vary from state to state, but in Texas there, they haven't rewritten the law for digital impressions. Not that I know of yet. Yeah. As far as I'm not that I'm as aware as I'm, yeah. of.
1: Um, and I think the others, like I couldn't, I don't have an iTero scanner, so it didn't really apply to me. I was just kind of listening in, but some of the things that I thought about that do apply that I've seen. So I am just adding that into the conversation here, um, at least in Texas, like coronal polishing, Mm -hmm. our assistants can do that. Sealants, our assistants can do that, but, 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 and this is where it gets really confusing because at least when I started practicing, you had to have been an assistant who was a RDA registered, maybe not even registered in Texas, but you had to prove you'd been an RDA for two years. And then you had to take a polishing course Mm -hmm. and a sealant course, provide the proof of that, of your certificate to the state board. The state board would add that designation to your license now, but I want to say it was 20, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that period, the state did away with the assistant having to prove it and go through a process and pay a fee. However, you still have to take the class. And I think that's where people are like, what do you mean? Why would I have to take the class if I don't have to submit proof? Well, it's kind of like our jurisprudence, mm-hmm. where in Texas, you have to take jurisprudence, but they don't ever ask you for it. But if they did ever ask you on an audit or if you ever did get looked at for whatever reason you and you didn't proof. have it, you are in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so in Texas, that is now the case where I think a lot of people get confused. And where this came up with me a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, that I was really frustrated is when I was looking for to hire an assistant. And every assistant, oh, yeah, I polish and I seal. Well, do you have your proof of classes? Well, I never took the class. The other dentist made me do it. And I'm like, Okay legally in Texas. And that's when I researched into it. Cause I was like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm still, maybe I misinterpreted it. And when I researched that it was no, the doctor can get in trouble for letting an assistant do sealants, even if they know how to do sealants, but if they have not taken the course and that's where, again, people are like, but they, why, if we're not going to submit anything to the state, they still need it to show us proof should they get audited. That's correct. So why, I don't know, but that's the, that's the law. That's the rule. Well, we can argue about whether we agree with it or
2: disagree with it all day long. The fact of the matter is it's important that you know your state's
1: requirements on things like that and abide by them. Right. And so I think where I was getting super frustrated back then was these assistants would look at me like I've lost my mind. Either that they're like, well, you're dumb, or or I'm not taking that class or whatever it is, and I'm sitting there going, I'm just trying to follow the law and this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really annoying. Uh, The other one that kind of ties into that would be nitrous monitoring. Mm -hmm. So did you?
2: Yeah, so I had a client that was actually asking some questions about this, and it's one that we don't think about very often, but he was asking the question, can I step away? to do a hygiene check if I've got a patient on nitrous and he's in a different state, not in, in uh, Texas. And so I just encouraged him. I know in Texas, you know, you've got to have an assistant in that room that is nitrous monitoring certified. And so again, that's one of those areas. I don't think, I think we need to be careful about going, Oh yeah, it's normal. I can step out and go check. But do we know that we can actually step away from that patient that's on nitrous? Or if we are stepping away, are we flipping that nitrous off while we step away? Have you thought about that? Or are we just assuming that we're in compliance with the law? So you need to know what are the requirements on your
1: RDAs before you step away. And so that one, at least in Texas, the RDA does have to submit the proof of the nitrous class and passing the test or whatever it is. And they do get a designation on their license. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have that designation on their license and you you got in trouble or something. Yeah. Um, because I've even had some assistants that are like, Oh yeah, I took the class, but, but what did you not pass the test? Did you not submit the paperwork? Well, then we're stuck. It doesn't matter. Like it has to be on your license that you are, Authorized to do nitrous, so in that case, then now the other part of that that I, I mean, I've been doing it appropriately for the last I don't know decade, but before that I wasn't, mm-hmm. where I didn't realize. Yeah, in my mind I was like, well, I have an assistant in here that has taken the course, has passed the course, is approved by the state board, it's on her license, so I would just say, yeah, you know, started at ten you know, it, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You're on 10. Go ahead and type trade it up. Now they cannot do that. No. And about a dozen years ago, I didn't know that. So I was letting them do that. And now it's like, no, no, no. Even though they have all of that in Texas, it's still the dentist that has to control the nitrous amount. So, um, that That's was a, such a good, good learning point. Too, yeah. Yes. Um,
2: what else? Any other, gosh, I feel like we hit this hodgepodge is a good, term for this, because I feel like if nothing else, just our listeners hearing these little tidbits, these are things that we don't necessarily think about every day, all day or ever, <laughs> probably ever. It's a beat down. It's a beat down, but it is part of running a dental business or even just seeing patients You've got to be compliant in these things, and some of them are. Were a fresh reminder for me the importance of how we run credit cards, for example. But, I
1: know we're about to wrap up one yeah. quick and easy one. Um, that that did come up again the other night was orthodontist. Y'all do still need to take vitals, and the the one orthodontist in the group was like, "Man, we're not doing local. We're not doing. It doesn't matter. State law. You got to exactly. take vitals. Whatever the rules are for for vitals, like once a year, mm-hmm. I guess." Um, and then in Texas, if you're under 12, maybe not, I don't remember. And, and I know that seems silly. Pediatric dentist doesn't know, but I take vitals on everybody every, at every appointment because okay. I can't remember the laws. <laughs> let's, like, let's just make it easy on everybody and just just take the damn vitals and move on. So orthodontist, yeah. I don't know how often you need to do it, but if you've got older, 12 and older, you, you need to take it at least once a year.
2: Mm-hmm. And I tend to follow the same philosophy with vitals. it it just is so much easier to get into a habit of it if we just every time they're in the office we're taking vitals then we're not having to think about it let me check back did I take it last time when's the last
1: time we took vitals just take it exactly I'm not smart enough to do that I just just take it and move on and
2: a lot of times they're like oh well we only have one blood pressure cuff buy more blood pressure cuffs just why are you making this hard yes they're not that expensive just put one in
1: every operatory and just add it to your routine it's just so much easier that way
2: Well, hey, thanks for putting the list together. I know we've uh, covered a lot, but I feel like it's good reminders for everybody. My brain is now hodgepodge. I know, right? Can we end this podcast now?
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining the conversation today. We hope that you are comforted in knowing that you are not alone. But we also hope that you're walking away with some really great tips and tricks to try in your practice. We value your feedback, so please take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. Finally, we want to make sure that we're covering the topics that matter to you. So track us down on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and let us know what topics you want us to cover. As always, please know that we are rooting for you today as you manage your dental drama.